all you fish enthusiasts out there and sucker lovers. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week. It's Monday, October 4th, 2021, and we're excited to talk about all the fish. I'm Katrina Levick with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Eero. Sucker lover. Ah, not quite a sucker lover, <laughs> but you know, I, I appreciate them enough. I know some people who are really fond of the suckers, so I, I don't feel like I'm quite on their level and, and don't want to pretend like I am, but just a sucker liker. I, I appreciate a good hog sucker, a red horse, a quill back. I, I like them. Big mouth, small mouth, buffalo, all of them. Sweet. So it's just Guy and I on this episode. We're talking about suckers, obviously. And one of the species we'll touch on for sure is the long-nosed sucker. There's a lot of cool species out there, though. So I'm guessing we'll be talking about suckers more in the future. So Guy, I guess my question to you is, what's in a name? Why are these things called suckers? Well, it kind of goes down to their mouth parts. As soon as you see a specimen, you can usually tell why they have that name. It's usually related to colors or possibly other animals and suckers. You just look at their mouth and uh, their feeding behavior and they're getting down and they're sucking on the rocks and getting their food that way. So as soon as you hold one, you see the lips, you can tell why they're called a sucker. Yeah, they're pretty fleshy, those lips. Very strange looking. So they're almost exclusively native to North America. There's one in China and one in Alaska and Russia. What characteristics do these fish share in this family? I know there's 60, 70 some species in this group. So there's a lot of diversity in how they look. We did mention those big fleshy lips that can be either plicate or papillos having these kind of taste and chemical receptors on them to help feel their way and taste what's there at the bottom of the water where they're feeding. But among the fish, there's a lot of diversity in their body shape. Some of them can be really tall and robust. Others can be more long and slender, sort of tubular-like. They belong to the superorder Osteriophyse, which is a really prominent order within freshwater fishes. And one feature of that is that they have this, what's called a Weberian apparatus that makes them really good at uh, sensing sound in the water. They have a connection between their swim bladder, which we've talked about on this show before, which helps them maintain buoyancy, but it also can act as like an amplifying chamber. And then that can pass up through some modified vertebrae in their neck and actually connects directly to their inner ear. So they have this kind of super hearing ability. They also have a Schreckstoff and a Schreck reaction, which is a German term. Schreckstoff means like fear stuff, fear substance. And it's kind of a cool response where if the fish gets injured, it's this, this chemical that's in their club cells and it creates a reaction among the other, because a lot of the times these guys are in these large aggregations and it can tell them to, okay, there's a predator in the area or for some reason our friend over here got injured, so we need to be on the alert and we'll put into a, a fear response. These fish are known for having oftentimes large spawning aggregations. Down in the southern United States, the red horses are sometimes called the salmon of the south because these large runs of fish often, a lot of the native peoples down there relied on their spring migrations to come in and, and as, a, as a food source, they would eat them. You know, so generally a pretty cool fish or group of fish rather. How big are we talking? You can have these really kind of small species. Uh, hog suckers tend not to get too big. Oftentimes, you'll find them less than 12 inches. Then you got some like the buffaloes, which can get upwards of 100 pounds. I believe the long-nosed sucker up there in Alaska, it maxes out somewhere around 23 to 25 inches and around 7 to 8 pounds, but I imagine it's oftentimes smaller than that. 
You mentioned the big mouth buffalo, and I was reading something really interesting about them. It said that the oldest buffalo, guess how old it was? 130? Oh, close. 112. Okay. So it's actually the oldest freshwater teleost fish that we have a record of. So that's quite a bit older than my grandma. I thought that was super cool. (laughs) When I was growing up in Utah, we had like our fourth grade social studies class, and the teacher made a big point about, you know, we only have bison in this country. We don't have true buffaloes, of course, referring to, you know, like the water buffalo and stuff that you'd find over in Africa and Asia. She's like, no buffalo in the United States, just bison. But then you go to fish school and it's like, ah, we got at least three species of buffalo. And also, I'm I'm not a big linguist guy, but you know the sense, the buffalo, 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 buffalo. This is a side, side bit. But talking about the mammal now, it's called a totonym, which it means that the, the genus and species name is the same thing. So for bison, the North American bison, the, the genus and species name is bison, bison. And for the plains bison, the subspecies is also bison. So it's bison, bison, bison. Mm. So if you wanted to, you could make that buffalo, bison, 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 buffalo, bison, 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 buffalo, buffalo, bison, 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 <laughs> buffalo. And that's a legit sentence. But talking about totonyms, because that's the transition that I decided to use, uh, I think they're kind of cool. And in fact, the long-nosed sucker up in Alaska is one of several species in Alaska that has a totonym. It's Catastomus catastomus. I know. I love those because they're easy to remember. Yeah. And Catastomidae is also the family, which I don't know if our audience really knows about type genre for a family or, and type species for a genus, but Catastomus is the type genus for Catastomidae, and Catastomus catastomus is the type species for the genus Catastomus. So this is the suckerest sucker (laughs) out there. So in terms of like range, we know that the long-nosed sucker, I mean, it's found throughout all of Alaska, essentially, except the islands. And then it's found through a lot of the, actually, I think all of the Canadian provinces and some of the territories, and then down into the kind of northern states within the lower 48. Do you know how that range compares with some of the other suckers that you've been talking about? I mean, maybe it's got just kind of that large, expansive, kind of huge range, but very northern. I would say that it is a lot larger than a lot of the ones that you're going to get down in the southeast. In the southeast, yeah. you see a lot of this speciation has grown. This isn't exclusive to suckers. You see, like, a lot of these specific drainages have fish that have, over time, evolved into their own species, but that superficially appear similar to others, like take hog suckers, for instance. You have the Roanoke hog suckers that are distinct to the Roanoke drainage, the Alabama hog suckers, you got the northern hog suckers, and that's all you just kind of drainage hop, and you'll find these ones. Whereas the long-nosed sucker is a single species that exists over a really long range without a ton of other sucker species in there. So a lot of these species are, you'll, you'll find them more uh, in the in the temperate zone, but there are a few that get up into the subarctic and arctic like the northern. A lot of people, when they think about suckers, you know, they're thinking about lollipops, or if they're thinking about suckers as fish, they're thinking about the Pocostomus, which is an armored catfish. And it's actually a really cool example of form evolving to exploit a specific niche and perform a specific function in a different ecosystem. So even though the Pocostomus and the Catastomids are not particularly closely related, they have this similar physiology because they serve similar roles in their ecosystem. Yeah, so I mean, you see that with animals 
all over the world, but they have filled a specific niche and they're kind of lower down in the food chain. Like you mentioned, they're, you know, eating everything from algae here in Alaska. They're eating invertebrates. They have snails, mollusks, fish eggs. So they're just serving that niche. They're a bottom dwelling species in freshwater. So you have other species that are, you know, occupying different columns in the water and feeding up the food chain a little bit more. But yeah, you can see species like this kind of across the globe that fill a niche. And that's what animals tend to do. And it's really neat that suckers have filled this niche throughout much of North America, which is where the Catastomidae is primarily located. I'm guessing here, I might be wrong, but in this mucking up on the bottom, which is kind of a lot of times what they'll be doing, I resuspending the nutrients that are in the substrate and allowing that to get resuspended in the water column. And I imagine that significantly can contribute to productivity in that system and the nutrient cycling where you have then the, the phytoplankton able to take up that stuff that was otherwise sort of down in the bottom. Yeah, and that might play a really important role up here in Alaska in particular because you have all those fish coming in from the ocean like the salmon bringing in marine-derived nutrients and those nutrients are going to get, you know, deployed up through the freshwater food webs as well. And I don't think we perhaps know a ton about the suckers, but that seems like something that they would help contribute to. They definitely are indicator species. They're a type of fish that tends to need high-quality water in order to be successful. And now that's not true for every single species of sucker out there, but these long-nosed suckers, I would I would guess, they need this cool, clear water in order to be successful. And so when you find a system that has suckers in it in high abundance, that is a good indicator that that's probably a healthy system. You go down the southeast, you, you see issues with sediment pollution, which can be an issue, because yep. these guys actually go on oftentimes large, predictable migrations. And so when you have dammed up systems, that can also uh, negatively impact uh, the sucker population. A lot of people think about these fish migrations as coming from the salt water and going up into the freshwater, and that's the migration that's taking place. But there's oftentimes purely freshwater migrations, whether that's coming up from a lake into a stream or coming from a different part of the river and then going upstream. It's usually downstream to upstream. Yeah. I mean, we heard that about Arctic grayling earlier from one of our guests in terms of that, those large freshwater migrations and how fish need different habitats throughout the year, where they overwinter, or where they spawn or where they feed or different kind of parts of their life cycle. So yeah, for sure. You know, suckers are not necessarily a species that a ton of people are going after. I know there's like certain species that they are, but in general, like these are not trash fish. They're actually, you know, native, really important part of the ecosystem. And I'm wondering if you've heard any kind of thoughts from folks on suckers. I know when I was in Maine, I was talking to a lot of people about fish and they'd be like, man, I hate suckers. They suck your toes, stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> what are some things we want to tell folks about these fish? Well, yeah, you bring up the point that they are often referred to as rough fish or trash fish, which is a term that in and of itself, you know, so, some people out there really take pride in targeting the trash fish or the rough fish. I don't think mm -hmm. there's anything in particular that's wrong with the term, but yeah, you, they do superficially, at least some species resemble some invasive species like common carp that's native to Eurasia. And so some people do conflate the two and say, okay, we need to get these out of the system so that we can support what are considered sport fish. Sport fish usually fall into one of the categories of being easy to catch, getting large towards the top of the food chain and or eat well. They're good fighters. Yeah. So <laughs> suckers 
they can get big, and we mentioned, and if you can hook them, they fight well. But the big thing that I think keeps people from going after them is they are hard to hook. I have many times tried quite hard to catch suckers and uh, and failed miserably. Uh, I'm not very good at it. But when you can hook them, they can really put up a very strong fight. Now, I mentioned earlier that a lot of the native peoples down in the southeastern U.S., they, they relied on these runs, much like the Alaska natives rely on runs of salmon. That said, they're very bony, and your typical Westerner is probably not going to be quite fond of picking out all those bones. But, you know, they are edible. So speaking of that, what have you used to catch a sucker? What kind of lure? Using like a bacteria lure or algal? <laughs> Most people that I know that are successful talk about using worms. The only sucker that I have ever caught that wasn't foul hooked was, and I actually, I, I caught at the same time, I caught a stone roller, which they're one of the, they're an algae scraper, so I was surprised. But I was going out and I had a size 30 hook which if, if you don't know, that's like I can probably fit 10 of them on my pinky fingernail. They're very small. And I went up and I turned over some rocks and I dug off and like just picked off these little tiny mayfly larvae. And I would put one on the hook and I just, I, I had to sight fish for it. We, we talked about those lips. They're super sensitive. And so they feel any bit of like a piece of metal or a hook in there, they can spit it out like that. Mm. I knew that there was one of these Alabama hog suckers around. It was a real little one, this little side stream that goes down into the Conasauga River. And I just I just saw him. He came out and he landed sort of right on top of where I had my mayfly larva. And I just waited a couple seconds. And it took all the patience that I had in my body to not just try and pull that thing out immediately when he got there. But I waited just enough and I was able to get him. So nice. That's the only one I've got. I've, I've foul hooked some quill backs. I think quill officially a quillback carp sucker and those things were super strong i was in the potomac river but again just foul hooked them i foul hooked white suckers before yeah i just have trouble with them i, I can't I, i've tried i've been that goofy guy up on like blue water trout streams in montana trying to catch long nose suckers with you got everyone out there with their thousands of dollars worth of orvis and sims decked <laughs> out head to toe thousand dollar fly rods and i am out there chucking worms trying to catch a sucker. I'd hook into 17, 18 inch rainbow trout and be disappointed. You gotta keep trying, get the sucker slam. I would appreciate, and I'm sure the suckers would appreciate if they're native that you don't kill them because they are doing an important stuff that helps keep the ecosystem where it needs to be for the sport fish. And if you are a very talented angler and can go out and catch these fish, you know, they are well worth uh, their pursuit. Yeah, I mean, I guess my final thought would be that I'd, you know, just like to see folks appreciate some of these non-game species a little bit more. They're super cool. They're important for the environment and they have a really neat history within our North American continent. So we hope you guys get out there and enjoy all the fish and definitely appreciate those awesome suckers. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebich and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Race Car, produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore, production management by Gabriella Montaguin, post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. As the service reflects on 150 years of fisheries conservation, we honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individuals, tribes, the state of Alaska, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, 
scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.